listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. Enjoy this exciting message by Pastor Andy Squires. Good morning, everybody. Uh, all right, I'm going to jump right into the passage this morning. So if you have your Bibles, we've, we've been in the Gospel of John for a number of weeks. I guess it's been months now. And... Um, I was, I was looking back on my notes and the last time I preached was July 7th. So it's been a minute for me, but I had a, I had kind of a funny situation happen to me. The last, uh, two of the three times I preached, I had a prop. I had like a, a loaf of bread. And then the next time I had a bottle of wine that I poured all over my Bible. Does anybody remember that? You know, so Amy and I went out to dinner with this new family in our church, uh, Tim and Kelly Stahl and, and we were having a nice time and, and they said this thing to me that I thought was hilarious. They said, uh, we've, we've never been to a church before where, where the preacher's a prop preacher. And I said, a what? Like, yeah, every time you preach, you have a prop. So I, I thought that was rather disgusting and I was offended, but <laughs> I have no props today. So, okay, if you have your Bible and you're opening to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 11, I'm going to re- read a rather large portion today, but um, I just want to say that we, we love the Bible, we highly value it, and we consider it authoritative. And when we don't know what to do with our lives, we look to the Word of God. There's other places we look as well, but the Bible is one of the main sources of information that we have for our lives. Amen? Especially if you're a follower of Jesus today, you wouldn't know his story if you didn't have this text. So we're going to it today. This is uh, John chapter 11, starting in verse 1. Bear with me here. Don't fall asleep. Act like you care. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and he loved her sister and he loved Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place that he was at. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. And after saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking a rest and sleep. So Jesus spoke plainly to them and he said, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe but let us go to him. So Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Okay, I'm only halfway through the text. Turn to your neighbor and say, listen up. All right. We continue together. 
Verse 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Mary heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. You can have two different reactions from the same instance. Okay, that's what we're seeing here. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. And whoever believes this, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ and the son of God who is coming into the world. And when she said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and he is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had just been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved. In his spirit. And he was in great turmoil within himself. And he said. Where have you laid him? And they said to him. Lord come and see. And Jesus wept. So the Jews said. See how he loved him. See how he loved Lazarus. But some of them said. Could not he. Who opened the eyes of the blind man. Also have kept this man from dying. Eight days ago, I walked out of the back door of my house into my backyard. I I mentioned this to you last week. I'm digging a ditch in my backyard. I was back out there. I've got this ditch. It's, It's currently about 30 feet long. It's about four and a half feet deep. It's all hard pan soil. And I've just been at it with a, a, a shovel and a pickaxe. But I was, uh, I was down in this ditch doing my work, minding my own business and in the still small voice of my inner ear, I heard screaming and I thought, that's crazy. I, I don't know where this is coming from. And I went back about my business and I, and I hear the screaming again. And then I hear this faint dad, dad. I don't know where the sound is coming from. But I have an idea. It's not where I am. So I began to do what a dad does and think all the worst thoughts that could possibly imagine. You know, if you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. You think about the worst first, right? So or maybe that's just me. Okay. But I start walking briskly and the sound starts getting a little louder. And then I start running and then I can hear clearer. Somebody is screaming, 
dad, dad, at the top of their lung. I still can't see where the sound is coming from, but I began sprinting down my road and about a quarter of a mile into my sprint, I see my 11 year old son, Henry, about another quarter of a mile away. And he's walking down the road like this, like a zombie from the walking dead. And I can tell because he's, he's bloody on his shoulder and he's bloody on his legs and his face is all I don't know if he's been attacked by a dog or what has happened. All I know is I see him and he needs me and I run all the faster still. And I get to him and he is unconsolable. He's sobbing. I don't ask any questions. I scoop him up in my arms and I start sprinting back to my house and I'm speed dialing the kids back at the house because I can't get a hold of Amy. I say, you need to drive the Suburban down here because we got to take this kid to the hospital. I think he's dying or something like that. And, and by the time she pulled the, the vehicle out of the driveway, I was already back into the house with Henry. And Henry was a mess, okay? He would not stop crying. He wasn't crying. He wasn't sobbing. He was screaming. So come to find out, he had crashed his bike. He had crashed his bike about half a mile away from the house. And uh, it was so funny because his mother is trying to tend his wounds. And he's he's just got blood and wounds all over him and i just had this thought i was like i walked up to him he's still crying i lean over his bed and i say henry he's what dad i said were you riding your bike without any hands (laughs) yes (laughs) it was a very sobering moment for him because He got caught riding without hands. And of course he crashed, you know, because I'm that dad who sees his kid riding without hands. Hey, hey, don't do that. You're going to crash. No, I'm not, dad. No, I'm not. And, you know, lo and behold, I'm a prophet, you know. (laughs) But here's the thing. Love was was the thing that was behind my speed to get to Henry. Love is one of the main themes that you'll find in the Gospel of John. In fact, there's four main themes that you'll see in this this uh, Gospel. It's it's light, it's love, and it's glory, and it's truth. And we say the word glory, what we're really talking about is when you're seeing the power and the goodness of God. And so in the Gospel of John, there's actually seven signs that are laid out in the Gospel. And they're all so that we can see the glory of God, so that we can witness and bear testimony to His power and His goodness. And sometimes we come up against things in our lives that seem to speak the opposite of His goodness. And I want to talk to you a little bit about that today. So love is everywhere in the Gospel of John. You should read this Gospel. If you haven't started yet since we've been in this series, you should really jump into it and give yourself to it because it'll change your life. But there's this distinctive feature in the Gospel of John. The distinctive feature of love in this Gospel is this. That Jesus lays down his life for his friends. Sometimes we think... Uh, in terms too broadly when we think about God and Jesus. We think about God being good over there. We think about God being particular to the whole world. There's a scripture that says it, right? There's a scripture that God so loved the what? 
world that he gave his only son. But you would make a mistake if you stopped there because God loves generally, but he also loves particularly. And in the Gospels, there are people that are actually named in it. It says, Jesus loved these people. It wasn't that he didn't love all the rest of the people, but he had relationships with these people that caused his love to grow. Did you know that Jesus has a love that can grow? The same way that when you're in a relationship with a person, you actually have to cultivate that relationship. And the point is for that like or that love to increase and not decrease, right? So Jesus is like you. He's like you. He's fully human like you. And he has a place in his heart that has love in it. And that love can increase. How cool is that? So one of Jesus' main motivators in the Gospel of John is the love of particular people. Okay? So it's, it's, it's that he loves the world. It's also that some of Jesus' friends are mentioned and we are told that Jesus loves them and that he is going to lay his life down for his friends. So that is what is going on in the story. We see Jesus loves Martha, he loves Mary, and he loves Lazarus. This is why the sisters send word to Jesus that their brother is sick because they know that Jesus loves Lazarus. Jesus heals several strangers in this gospel, but not not at this point, not in this section. This is a friend. This is someone that Jesus loves. We're told this again in verse 5. It says this, now Jesus loved Martha, and he loved her sister Mary, and he loved Lazarus. And then we see it again in verses 35 and 36, after the the most famous verse in the Bible, or the shortest verse, verse, at least Jesus wept. You know, if somebody asks you if you've ever memorized any scripture, you can tell them, yes, Jesus wept. All right. But after that, it says, so the Jews said, see, see how he loved him. So our passage begins with love. It ends with love. And so I'm going to we're going to build this whole message today around God's love. What does it mean to say that Jesus loves you? Have you heard that before? How many of you guys have been going to church more than two weeks at least? And you've heard the phrase, Jesus loves you. You know, it's one of those things. That we have, I've talked about this before, but it's kind of like one of those things where when you hear it too much, it loses its power, right? It becomes a bumper sticker, right? It becomes a motto. It goes on a bracelet somewhere, and as soon as something goes on the bracelet, all the power goes out of that phrase, Right? You have to go backwards. You have to backtrack to find out what that thing means because the thing that you think it means no longer means that thing. And you have to go look at it again. That's why you read the Bible over and again. That's why you ask the Holy Spirit to help you. That's why you get around your friends who believe God because they can help you believe God too. If you notice that your belief is diminished, it might be that the people that you are around have diminished belief. If you want your love for Jesus to increase, it would help you to be around those that are at least saying they want to do that too. I've said this to some friends of mine recently. I don't need you to be perfect. I don't even need you to be mature. I just need you to agree that Jesus has the words of life and then we can go somewhere together. So Jesus is here with his friends and he is about to enact 
his love for these people that he loves. But he does it in a very strange way, doesn't he? We saw from the text, Jesus gets word that his friend is dead or sick and is on his way to dying. And he goes, I'm glad I got the news. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to do what Andy Squires did and run as fast as he could to his son, Henry. What I'm doing is waiting two more days so that sucker can die. Do you even read the Bible? Have you ever read that and thought to yourself, what is going on here? Whew. So our passage begins with love. It ends with love. We're talking about love. We're talking about what does it mean to say that Jesus loves you? What is the distinctive nature of his love? What does this passage tell us about how Jesus loves his friends? How does Jesus love his friends and what does that mean? The reason why this is important because you're his friend. You should know how Jesus is going to treat you. We see things in the scripture. If you are sometimes mystified by God, you're not alone. There are people all through the New Testament that were always mystified by Jesus. This is not news, guys. Like so I hear people say all the time, oh, if only God would do a miracle, then I'd believe him. The New Testament is filled with thousands of people who saw Jesus do miracles and refused to believe. That happens because of hard-heartedness, not because of a lack of knowledge. Sometimes I say that, Lord, I just wish you would move in my life. If you did something for me, then I would believe you. If you would just answer prayer, then I would maybe take you seriously. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Jesus is over here doing his Jesus thing, confusing his friends, not just the outskirt people, but the friends that he really loves. Oh my gosh. Here's what the love of God looks like. When Jesus loves you, he sometimes disappoints you. Oh, you didn't see that coming. Point number one, when Jesus loves you, he sometimes disappoints you. Kind of a bummer first point, right? Okay, but that's what's going on in this passage, all right? Jesus doesn't always come through for you the way you want him to. Jesus doesn't always do it the way you think it should be done. And it's spiritual maturity to get a hold of that and to accept that and to live in that. Are you with me? Sometimes he is going to disappoint you and he will let you down. But I've said this before. Jesus is playing the long game, so you better be playing the long game. He might disappoint you in the short game, but he's coming for you. He's coming for you in the long game, y'all. So that's what's going on in this story. John sets up this strange tension here. Jesus gets word that his friend is ill, and his response is to stay where he was for two more days. I mean... What do you do when you get word that a friend is sick or on their deathbed? What do you do? You go to them, right? You go right away. You call them. You text them. You go to the hospital. I don't know. You shift into overdrive and you, be, you become a good friend and you take care of your friend in need. There's nothing wrong with that. When I first heard Henry crying down the street, I went to him as fast as I could. But what Jesus does is he waits two more days. 
Do you think Henry would have been mad at me if I left him down at the end of the road and made him walk back the whole way? I, I asked him that once he started to settle down. I was like, man, what would you have done if I had not been in the backyard listening for you? What if I was inside watching football, which is where I should have been, was inside watching TV and the air conditioning, but instead I was outside digging a ditch? If 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 you don't have something to be mad about, God at, I do, okay? Like, seriously. (laughs) But what does Jesus do? He waits two more days. In fact, the crazy thing is that the passage says, he loves them so he waited. He loves them so he waited. Do you feel the tension there? Isn't that strange? It's odd. What is Jesus waiting for? He's waiting for Lazarus to die. Does that not disturb you? Have you read that before and missed how difficult that is? Now, here's the thing. You and I, as readers of the story, we know how the end of this goes. We know that Lazarus is restored to life. We know that if Jesus is going to display God's glory, and we know in the gospel that his glory means greatness and goodness, if Jesus is going to put that glory on display in the most powerful way, What has to happen? Lazarus has to die. But nobody in the story knows that. And that's where we often find ourselves in. We find ourselves in the beginning part of the story. We find ourselves in the middle part of the story. And we think to ourselves, God is nowhere to be found. But really, he's decided to wait two days down the road because he's waiting for somebody to die. Don't shout me down because I'm preaching good. Do you know what I'm talking about this morning? Have you ever felt like Jesus was somebody somewhere else taking his sweet time and he loved you so much he wasn't going to come on time for you? We know, we know that, but Mary and Martha and Lazarus definitely don't know that. Mary and Martha and Lazarus didn't know this. They suffered all the anguish and all the sorrow of loss. And Jesus didn't keep them from that. Oh man. Mary and Martha were greatly disappointed with Jesus. Have you ever been greatly disappointed with Jesus? It's okay. It's okay if you've been. I think you'd be in... A large good company, if that's your testimony. In verse 21, we see Martha. There's a little bit of frustration in the text. Martha was frustrated and disappointed in Jesus. And she's got faith that Jesus can heal. She says, if you'd have just been here, he wouldn't have died. In verse 32, Mary says the same thing. Let me ask you this. Do you think that Mary and Martha were praying to God that Lazarus would be healed? You better believe it. You better believe they were hanging every sincere prayer. They were mustering all the faith they could and doing what the Bible says, bringing their requests, their requests for help to God. They were doing that. Do you think that Mary and Martha were hoping that Jesus would come quickly and heal their brother? And Jesus waits two days. So if you've been a Christian any length of time, you know this feeling. 
You faced this situation. It might be in your marriage. It might have been in your job. You might have a friend who's betrayed you. You might have had issues with your kids at some point where you prayed and prayed and prayed and God did not do anything the way that you wanted him to. Have you been there? The truth is we get disappointed and we just get flat out angry with God. Where the heck are you, God? I see nothing. I see nothing. So in 2012, uh, the greatest friend that I have ever had in my, I have had a lot of good friends. I've been a blessed man. I've, I, I count myself very fortunate because over the course of my life, I've had many beautiful, wonderful people that have been in my inner circle of, of people that I would consider best friends. But I had this one friend and I would consider him my greatest friend of all time because he in particular, I felt like he knew me the best. He understood me the most. He could talk to me like nobody else could. And when I talked to him, I felt like I, it was the most listening ear that I had ever heard. But in 2012, this, this friend, he died of cancer at the age of 34. And 34 is too young. He left behind a wife and three young children. Do you think that I prayed? Do you think that we prayed? Do you think that we asked God for a miracle to damn that cancer that was destroying his body. Do you think that I pleaded with God? Do you not think that there were many people putting all of their faith on the line to pray for the healing of this very young man? We prayed and we prayed and it did not go the way we hoped it would. And I was deeply disappointed with God. In fact, I could tell you, I probably for two years after that, I just felt like I was walking around with a limp all the time. Or maybe another way you could say it is I had just been punched in the stomach and all the air that I had once felt in, in here was just gone. It was like a permanent, uh, a permanent situation for me. I just, you get to that place in your life where you literally have no answers. Like there's some preacher who's preaching full of faith and he's telling you, you just got to believe and you just got to have faith. And I'm like, I want to believe everything you're saying, but everything you're saying, I just did and nothing happened. In fact, the exact opposite of what you're saying happened. Do you know what I'm talking about this morning? When Jesus loves you, even when you are his friend, it does not mean that life will always turn out the way that you want it. And we have to get a hold of that. We have to live in that. Here's the thing. In the world, there are so many possibilities. There are so many mysteries. Let me say it. Let me say it to you like this. Jesus is both loving and he's incomprehensible. Jesus is both completely loving and he's very incomprehensible. Why does God do the things the way that he does? The answer is we don't know. <laughs> that is the answer. Some people will tell you. They will be able to explain why things happen. 
But the truth is, there are many things that will happen in your life to you or to other people that you know that there is virtually no explanation for and you have to live in that. That is called being a human being. And sometimes Christians act like they're not human beings and they try to live another way. And it only ends up taking them out of truth and grace that they need to actually survive that thing. So if you say to yourself, there are some things in the world that I cannot understand, you are much better off. But Jesus doesn't leave us alone in that mystery, does he? Listen to this quote from Henry Nouwen. This is so good. How many of you have read Henry Nouwen before? He's like a hero. Get a hold of Henry Nouwen in your life. He's just one of the best. He says this. Spiritual formation begins with the gradual and often painful discovery of God's incomprehensibility in the face of life's great mysteries and limitations. So often we're looking for God where the answer is, Henry, Henry Nouwen is saying, the beginning of knowing God is finding him in the mystery of life. It's not that there aren't answers, guys. It's not that there aren't principles that we can apply and make our lives better. I'm not talking about throwing all that stuff out. I'm just saying what the thing that we already know is sometimes you're praying for your friend who has cancer and he dies. Sometimes your brother dies. That's a hard one, isn't it? That honestly, that is a truth that I do not want to own. If I'm just being frank with you. I have a friend who says it this way. This is the last time I'm going to say I have a friend who says it this way. Because now I've said it enough times. Now I'm just going to say I always say this. So God is always faithful, but he is almost never predictable. God is always faithful, but he is almost never predictable. You cannot set your watch by the Lord. And that's what's going on in this passage. Sometimes Jesus disappoints you, but it doesn't mean he doesn't love you. He does not answer all your questions. He does not give you the simple formula that you want A plus B equals C. I'm always looking for the formula to apply to my life so that it'll make sense. But Jesus doesn't give us those solutions. He doesn't go, oh, here's a nice little uh, proverb that you can live by. Uh, live, laugh, love. <laughs> Bought it at Hobby Lobby. There's a sign. Live, laugh, love. And then there's another sign. Often. Right? Like, oh, yes. Like, I've always, I, I, sometimes I just walk through the, 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 the corridors at Hobby Lobby and I just think to myself, who are the people that buy this stuff? Like, I don't believe in any of these sayings. Like, even if it's scripture, I don't believe it because somebody's selling it on that terrible frame or whatever. Like, you know, oh, I, I apologize to all the people that go to Hobby Lobby. We go there all the time, don't we, fam? We do. We, we buy a lot of stuff there. So, I just can't stand it when everybody tries to boil down the, the mysteries of God in life onto like an 8 by 10 frame at Hobby Lobby. It bugs me. I'm an Enneagram 8. You know, the world's on fire for me. Like, like I just hate everything all the time, you know? Like, 
One of my longest running hates is the fact that you go to a, a, a fast food restaurant like McDonald's and, and the garbage can is the thing that says thank you to you. Have you ever thought about that? Like you, you're finished with your meal and you take your trash and you put it into the box and it's the garbage can that's saying thank you to you. Like no wonder nobody can look at anybody in the eye anymore. You know, it's like we're letting the garbage be pleasant to each other for us. Like it's just wrong. Sorry. That's a bunny trail. But it's an important one, though. I mean, listen, while I'm on the subject of retail, um, y'all be nice to your servers. When you're going out to lunch today, just be nice to your servers. Tip 20 to 25%. If you have an issue with your cell phone, you got to go to the AT&T store. You know, those guys are doing their best, and they're slaves to some policy that somebody else who's not in the room is enforcing. So just be nice to people, right? If you got no other evangelical mission in your life, start here. Just be nice to people who work in retail. Just start there, okay? All right. So, oh, man. So... We got our little Hobby Lobby proverb. We, we figured out we can't live our lives by that. Life is more complex than that. Life is deeper than that. And here's the thing that Jesus does. When he loves you, he gives you the very best thing of all. He gives you himself. That's the thing that you really want. But the problem is that people are walking through the world and their hearts have grown so cold. They've gotten so overwhelmed by the cares of the world. They've been so overwhelmed by confusion and unbelief that when somebody offers them Jesus, they're like, eh. But the problem is that's all Jesus is offering. All he has to give you is himself. His full embodiment as a human being, he gives it to you. His full embodiment as being equal to God, he gives it to you. And that's what this gospel is about. This is what love is, right? Like It's like in a marriage, each person giving themselves to each other, not just some formula, not just some nice saying. Let me tell you, Amy and I have been married for going on 25 years now, and we still fight like cats and dogs, and we have applied every single formula, and we cannot figure it out yet. And the only thing that we have sometimes is the very best thing, and it's Jesus himself. And we have to invite Jesus into our home. We have to invite Jesus into our marriage. After Amy cusses me out, I have to go out of the house and talk to Jesus. I have to figure out how I'm going to apologize for the 12th time for the thing that I keep doing. And I can't figure out how to stop doing it. But you know, like there's these moments with these brass tacks where the rubber meets the road, where like, it's so strange the world we live in. Like, um, um, everybody is so obsessed with like these massive movement, movements of change. Like we've got to change hundreds of thousands of people or millions of people even. And I literally can't even change myself. Like I, I cannot change my wife. If you have been married for any amount of time and you think you can change your spouse, you are wrong. I'm telling you, that is a fool's errand. 
And if you keep trying to change your spouse, you will just be bumping up against a brick wall over and over. And God will never let you through it. Because he wants to change your spouse. And it might not be on your timetable. And you have to give up control. And that's the one thing we don't want to give up. We do not want to give up control. So thankfully, Jesus doesn't give me a formula to apply to the broken places in my marriage. He gives me himself. He gives Amy himself. He gives us our kids himself. And sometimes we feel so like, oh gosh, we go to church on Sunday, but we we don't even read the Bible or pray Monday through Saturday. It's like, welcome to life. Like, all we have is Jesus. We're not boasting in any of our devotional aspects. All we have is Jesus. That's what we got. That's what we're clinging to. That's what we're going after. That's who we believe in. That's who we're listening to. And he's saying, Andy, I got myself for you. And it's enough. (sighs) By grace, even in parenting, by grace, we learn to give ourselves to the pain of doing the hard things of raising our kids. And so it is with Jesus. So like backtracking a little bit into verse 20. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. What Martha's saying here, she's expressing, she's affirming what any orthodox, ordinary Jew would believe at that time. The Old Testament taught there was a resurrection day where the dead would rise. This is what she's talking about. She's affirming what she'd been taught her whole life. But that's not what Jesus was talking about. Jesus assures her that Lazarus will rise again, but she doesn't understand it. But Jesus ups the ante. Here's what he says. Jesus says to Martha, Martha, it's not the last day down there. I am the last day. Since the last day is standing right in front of you, the last day has come into your pain, into your anguish. You do not have to wait for that day. The last day is right here standing in front of you. You know, Jesus was standing in front of all kinds of people and all kinds of people were missing it. Guys, I'm missing this. I'm missing this in my life. Jesus is with me. He's standing with me. He's in my mess. He's in my victory. He's in my failures. He's in all of it. And I'm missing him because I'm thinking he's somewhere else. And he's about to meet me down the road somewhere. But he's right here. He said it to Martha and Mary. He said, I am the resurrection. I am the life. I am the last day right here, right now. And nothing has changed, church. Nothing has changed. Oh, he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. Get your mind around that, guys. Get your mind around that. I love it how he ends this. He says, Martha, do you believe that? Jesus is asking you and me, do you believe this? Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? 
She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who is coming into the world. I want to tell you this real quick story. I know I'm going long, but I want to tell you this one thing. I've got this friend. I don't think he minds me telling this story. His name is Brian Morricon. He's a singer songwriter. He's one of my favorite people in the world, but he told me this testimony one time. And when he, the words came out of his mouth, the power of God came over me in such a way that it changed me. But Brian was in a moment of real darkness, real confusion. He didn't know if he believed the Bible anymore. He was being bombarded with all kinds of strange thoughts. He was in like probably a state of depression that had been going on for months. And he could not get himself out of it. And one day he's standing in the kitchen and he says this. He felt the spirit of Jesus walk into the room. And the confession that came out of Brian's mouth was this. You are the Christ. You are the Christ. I believe that you're in the world. You are the son of God. And his confession changed his life. His confession of Jesus as Lord, as Jesus is the Christ, wiped all the confusion out of his mind, all the darkness, all the cobwebs, all of that stuff out of that one simple confession. And that's what we see Martha and Mary doing here. They're saying this, Jesus, we believe that you are the Christ, the son of God. There in the gospel of John, there are seven I am statements. We've just read this one. I am the resurrection. I am the life. This is actually number five of the seven. But all of the I am statements, they're meant to tell us who Jesus is and how he gives himself to us. This is who Jesus is. Jesus doesn't give us something other than himself. He gives us himself. The Christian life is not simply about following commandments. It's not simply about developing your character. This is at the heart of Christian faith. It is the fellowship, your fellowship with the living Christ. Your fellowship with the living Jesus. It is about your personal fellowship with Jesus. Do you need nourishment? What does he say? I am the bread of life. Do you need direction? What does he say? I am the light of the world. Do you need care? Do you need comfort? Jesus says this. I am the door of the sheep. My sheep go in and out for pasture and it gives them life. Do you need to know that you are loved? What does Jesus say? I am the good shepherd and I lay down my life for my friends. I want you to think about it. Jesus is God. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. We serve a God who is literally laying down his life for you and I. I mean, it's like we hear that all the time, but it just, it grows. The the idea is weary. The idea is weary. And the Holy Spirit is right now stirring up that idea for us again, because there's life attached to it that we desperately need. Do you need assurance? I, I, I'm going to tell you this. This is my greatest fear in my life, dying. I have a great fear of death. I don't sleep at night sometimes because I don't want to fall asleep because I'm afraid I'll die on my pillow. I know that sounds crazy and silly. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? This is like the, the most inevitable thing on the planet. Everybody's going to die, right? But it's always a shock to us, isn't it? And I'm always like waiting around for that shock, like, Jesus, uh, what's up with all this suspense? Like, 
give me a due date or something here. I, you know, I, I'd like, if, like if I knew I was going to die in 40 years, I could sleep tonight. Like even if I knew I was going to die in six weeks tonight, I could get a better sleep than if I don't know. You know, but there's this plague over mankind and it's, it's nothing new. It has nothing to do with the modern age that we're in. This has plagued mankind for since the beginning, the fear of death. And that's our ultimate enemy. And that is the enemy that Jesus is confronting in this passage. He's confronting the enemy of death. And he says this, do you need assurance that he can overcome your greatest enemy, which is death? Here's what he says. I am the resurrection and the life. All through John, Jesus is presenting himself as the full embodiment of all of Israel's good hopes and dreams. But John is pointing. Here's the one. Here's the one Jesus. He is also the full embodiment of all your good hopes and all your good dreams. Do you believe that? Do you believe that today? I don't know. Somehow take that into yourself right now. Do you believe that Jesus is the full embodiment of all your hopes and dreams? I believe that today. But I want to believe it more tomorrow than I do today. I want to go further on in this, y'all. I'm planning to live to be 120 years old. And I want my 119 year to be better than my 46 when it comes to believing Jesus. Some of y'all are pretty old in here. And I just believe this. You're just getting started. You're just getting started in your walk with faith. Mitch, I was talking to Mitch's parents in here yesterday, uh, or last, last Sunday. Mitch Sanford, is that, is his last name Sanford? I was talking to David and Lola Sanford, and David's 64, and he's telling me, it's like, Andy, I'm 64, but I just feel like, I feel like I'm just getting started. I feel like I'm just pressing into the things of the Lord for the first time in my life. I was like, I can't check out now. It's time to speed this thing up. And I was like, that's great because I think of being 64 as being old. But I used to think that 46 was old. And now I'm 46. I'm like, oh, I'm just getting started. So I think I'm going to have the same thought when I'm 64. When I'm 64, I was like, all right, let's get this party going. But you have to build from here to there, guys. You have to, you have to keep your heart stoked you have to keep your heart guarded you have to keep your love life alive with jesus you can't put it in a neutral and just not go after it because there's enough other forces in this world that want your soul that want to destroy your mind that want to destroy your body that want to destroy your spirit and heart you have to guard it and take care of it but jesus is here for us in all that oh my goodness okay Oh, it's 12.08. Dang, I thought this was going to be a 30-minute sermon. It's turned into 45, and I'm just not going to say any more except for this one last thing, and then we're, we're, we're going to close. Okay, so for the past several years, this is what I want to leave you with. The past several years, my, my family, we, I kid you not, we rent this little cabin in the hills of Virginia. Okay, there's nine of us, okay? Um, there's nine of us, because I got a son-in-law now. I got six kids, but I got a son-in-law, so there's nine of us. And we go up to the hills of mountains of Virginia and we get this little cabin, but the cabin's only 800 square feet. But it is the best time, I'm telling you. It's in this little hollow in this, this little hill and we go up there for a week and we eat the best food, y'all. And you know what? Amy has figured this thing out. Each kid has to cook a full night's meal. Like, so she doesn't do any cooking on vacation. Right? Yeah, moms, take note. You need to get your kids on this. 
But the kids know how to cook and they, they create these feasts and we sit around and we just, we eat, we eat the best food and we go hiking. We go, I mean, if y'all have never been to Virginia, Grayson Highlands, it's God's country. God lives up there. There's ponies up there. There's wild blueberries. There's trout in the streams. You, you should go there. God lives up there. We go hiking up there all the time and it'll change your life. Okay. Uh, what, what do we do? Oh, the best thing of all, we go fishing. We go fishing, which if you know me, that's my favorite thing in the world to do. You know, except for dating Amy, fishing is like my, my number one thing, you know. Um, I go fishing. It's the best. But you know what? As good as any of those things are, do you know what I really love the most? I love hanging out with those people. It's those people that I'm there for. If I went and did all those things by myself without those people, they wouldn't be, they wouldn't be half as special, would they? It's the people that I get away with. Those, those children, my wife, my kids, my son-in-law, when we go someplace, we are there for each other. There's something in the human spirit, the human body that needs fellowship with other people. And likewise, we need that with Jesus. We need that with the Lord. And that's how this works, guys. This is the Christian life. This is the heart of the Christian life is being with Jesus. So I've hopefully just, I wanted to stir you up. I wanted to stir you up in your love for Jesus this week. I mean, we, we got to keep doing that for each other, don't we? Were you blessed this morning? All right, let's stand up together. I'm going to pray over you and then I'm going to hand it over to Pastor Robin. Jesus, we love you so much. We thank you for the worship this morning. We thank you for the worship team this morning. Lord, we thank you for all of the kids' church volunteers that are giving their time and their energy towards blessing our kids and bringing them into your kingdom, the knowledge of your kingdom, Lord. Lord, I pray for every person in this room. I pray for the, the jobs that, that, that we have. I pray over the jobs that we need And God, we just ask you for help in every single one of these situations. And Lord, also, we're just going to pray for increase for everybody for like raises this year. Like in six months, people that need raises, just give it to them, Lord. We're asking you for help in our times of need, Lord. Lord, help our family situations where we need relational help, where we need your fire to come in and heal Heal broken places in our lives. And Lord, specifically for this week, this is my prayer. That you lead us to your scripture. That you lead us to consuming your word. That you lead us to times of prayer. That you lead us to times of worship. That you would lead us to times of encouraging one another in this faith. We thank you for all this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.